soon as they graduate, they go, they get their jobs. Students contact me a lot to thank me because I teach professional communication. So I help them with like preparing for the job interview, right? So they're really happy when they get their job. So I talk to them about their job. And a lot of them have told me that, hey, they're asking me to use AI right now. So right now at their jobs, they're using AI. So if we in universities don't teach students how to properly use AI, how to develop these AI literacy skills, then we're setting them up for, for failure, not for success. So that's why it needs to be integrated in everything that we do here. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hi, Tiffany. Glad to be here. You know, I always wonder if other co-hosts are as scared of their co-host person as I am of you and the jokes that you may tell, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this isn't about us. This is about our guest today. We're excited because our colleagues at Indiana Wesleyan University connected us with someone who's becoming a true expert in AI and its integration and implications for higher ed. So we are welcoming to the podcast today, Brent Anders. Dr. Brent A. Anders works as the Director of the Office of Institutional Research and Assessment and the Center for Teaching and Learning at the American University of Armenia. He is an author and public speaker focusing on instructional methodologies and technologies like ChatGPT. It's great to have you here, Brent. Well, thank you very much. I wanna apologize ahead of time about my voice. So I guess I am becoming popular because earlier today I did another webcast and it was with Australia, a big university down there. And they had me talking for two hours straight. They had that many questions and that many interesting things that they wanted to discuss dealing with AI and chat GPT. So it truly is a global phenomenon. It is the hot topic. Yeah. Wow. In the pre-show, I mentioned to Brent and thanked him because the way that he has taken what he's learned about AI in higher ed and turned it around and made it available for a global audience and teaching and learning centers all over the world is truly remarkable. He has been busy. Well, we're definitely going to talk about AI, but first, we like to get to know our guests a little bit better. We actually used ChatGPT a little bit to come up with some getting to know you questions. Brad, you want to kick us off? Sure. Our next chat will happen in an Armenian cafe. We'd like to have your order ready when you arrive. So what should we order for you? Ooh, wow. Well, you know, here in Armenia, they have really delicious type of food. So I would say if we're going to be at a nice cafe, I'll order some hachapuri, which is like a cheese puff pastry type of food. Very delicious, as well as some gata. Gata is like a sweet type of bread. So definitely things that you have to try when you come here. I think we'll just get three orders of that. That sounds great. I know. I'm thinking the same thing. (laughs) I should have had (laughs) breakfast. No. So after the cafe, we're putting our work away and demanding that you do too. We would like to tag along and learn a little bit about your hobbies. What are one or two hobbies that you enjoy? Um, So my speciality here is definitely higher education. That's my PhD but I'm always very much interested in the psychology of different things, the psychology of learning, the motivations in learning. So one of my hobbies has been to try and channel that into things like social media 
and on YouTube. So I guess my hobby is trying to be a YouTuber, a, a, a Twitter person, personality. So I've been trying to focus on that because I just love the idea of doing something and then it affecting people all over the world, hopefully for the better. Yeah. Very good. So after our excellent meal and our time talking about your hobbies, it's time for us to head to the airport. And you agreed to drive us to the airport. And thank you for that. <laughs> what kind of music are we listening to in your car as we're driving along? Right. Well, it's, you know, again, Armenia is a very interesting place because it's, it's located in a very unique area. So there's so many different influences. Of course, Armenia has its own language. So there'll be plenty of Armenian music. And they seem to be extremely modern in their music, as well as extremely traditional. So you'll hear some ancient music with ancient instruments, as well as new rap music, uh, <laughs> all sorts of different things. But then you also have influences from Russia, from India, from Iran, and of course, the United States. So there are plenty of popular American music here, too. Very good. Well, we're not going to keep you for two hours, though we'd love to. And I think technically we have already asked you back before we've begun. But <laughs> while we're on the subject of artificial intelligence and chat GPT, how would you describe chat GPT to someone with little to no experience? And I'm sure it's hard for you to even imagine someone at that point right now, but it's true. You know, we've got this broad faculty audience. How would you describe it to them? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because so much has happened so quickly. Yeah. Chat uh, GPT has broke all sorts of world records as far as the amount of users. It broke the world's record for the first million. And here just recently, it now has 100 million users. Most people have heard of it, but there are some that are still sort of catching on. Chat GPT could be described as an assistant. That's what it likes to call itself, an AI assistant. So that means that it can basically answer virtually any question on any subject. So imagine the interesting part of this and that it's like a search engine, but you can talk to it in plain English and it'll respond to you in plain English, meaning that you can ask it to do things like, hey, write an essay for me, make it 500 words and make it be about democracy. And then in a couple of seconds, there you go, a brand new essay just for you. So it has that type of power and capability, again, all through text. I'm a little confused sitting here listening to that definition. Because what you've described is Tiffany Snyder. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I'm, I don't quite know what to make of that. You know, it's been a while since you've complimented me, Brad. So I'm fully embracing this. I'm People can't see me, but I'm puffing up. My shoulders are... <laughs> no, not true, but thank you. Well, let me expand on that a little bit because it's important to talk about sort of some of the different aspects of ChatGPT, right? because we have to be very sure that we are exposing all of what it is. It is super powerful in its capabilities, but there are some limitations. So it doesn't know information after 2021 until about the end of 2021 is where it's capped because it's looking at a language model that it's already been pre-trained on. So it doesn't know information after 2021, as well as it's only as good as the information it's trained on. So if there's bias, in any of the information that it's been trained on, then there might be some bias in whatever result it gives you. And then of course, the third one is that it can have something called hallucinations, which is a funny way to describe it, but it can give you false information. Interestingly, I had it, I was working on a document, a report, 
I asked it to write an essay for me dealing with educational motivation. So it went through and then I said, oh, okay, this is pretty good. I want in-text citations and a reference list and it gave it to me. So I'm looking at it, checking it out. It's good, it's good. And then since this is my field, I was looking at the references and I'm like, I don't recognize this reference, but I looked through it and you know the publisher was like Rutledge or something. So it made sense. It was like, that's, that looks like it should be right. But of course I went through and I checked every single reference and that one was completely made up. It didn't exist anywhere. It just <laughs> falsified this wow. information, but it was very confident, you know? And I tried going through and saying, asking it like, hey, is this a correct, is this a real reference? And it was like, yes, it is. And I'm like, are you sure? Wow. And then, and then it starts to say, well, no, I'm not sure. Because again, it's only as good as its information and it's trying to have a conversation with you. That's what it's designed for. So if it doesn't know everything, it'll fill in the blanks with the hallucination. So this is why always any opportunity I get, I always try to push this aspect of everyone needs to develop their AI literacy. Yeah. So AI literacy is broken down into just a couple of different sections. One is simply an awareness that AI is all around us. We can't have this mentality of, oh, AI, that's just a fad, or I don't wanna get involved with AI. No, it's already involved in everything, right? Your Gmail that has predictive analysis, so that's AI whatever suggestions are being made to you in Amazon or Netflix, that's AI. Microsoft Word, that has AI. Zoom itself actually has AI built into it. So AI is everywhere. Another component of AI literacy is also having this knowledge that everyone else also has access to AI. So if I'm an instructor and I find out that, hey, I can use ChatGPT, well, guess what? So can your students. So we need to be sure that we understand that everyone now has access to AI. We also have to know how to properly use AI because certain AI systems are better at certain things than other AI systems. We need to have that level of understanding. And then the last part, which is the most crucial part, is that we must develop critical thinking, critical awareness whenever we're using AI. Just because it comes from a computer doesn't mean it's 100% correct. Doesn't matter what your source is, whenever you get feedback, a result like that, it's always imperative to go through and check the results check those references, check those facts to ensure that that's correct and that's fully right, and then to use it for whatever purpose, for sure. Yeah. So this has become one of the hottest topics in higher education. What kind of questions are people asking or what kind of questions should we be asking about AI? Yeah, that's a great two-parter there, right? So the type of questions that I'm getting from instructors run kind of the full gambit, right? I have instructors that are, yes, I totally want to use this. Tell me how can I incorporate this? And then I have instructors that are totally against AI. What can I do to resist AI in my classroom? So what I've done is I've basically taken the middle road. And what I try to do is create techniques that instructors can use to incorporate AI and in everything that they're doing or ways that they can make their assessments their tests, their assignments, to make it more resistant to, to chat GPT or other AIs. So that is sort of the middle ground. And we can come back to that because there's kind of a, a secret agenda with that. But the other part of this, what should people be asking about? It definitely goes back to policy, right? I have a PhD, so that means I'm a lifelong student. And I was also in the, the military for a long time, recently retired. And it's nothing but lifelong learning. 
So my heart always goes out to every student because policies are very important in that it needs to spell out exactly what is allowed, what's not allowed. Here at my university, I just have been talking to my administration for about two months now, trying to get policy to be slightly changed to be more crystal clear on what we mean when we talk about plagiarism and when we talk about cheating, because this comes up a lot now when we're talking about AI. So in our definition of plagiarism, it specifically states, plagiarism is when you take another person's work and you don't give them credit. So I think you can already see another person Okay, AI is not a person, so that's not plagiarism. But there's definitely a gray area here, right? If we're talking about, well, ChatGPT created this content for you and you're just taking it and turning it in, that's plagiarism. No, it's not another person. So according to our policy, it's definitely not. But what we do have is we also have a classification of cheating, right? And in our policy, cheating, there's a section in there that talks about cheating is if you use sources of information or tools that the instructor tells you you can't use for this assignment or for this assessment. So what do we mean by tools? That's where I've been trying to get my administration to give a little bit more definition there, such as advanced AI system like ChatGPT. Oh, okay, now I know. So the policy needs to correlate properly and the instructors themselves need to be very specific when they give assignments and say, hey, you are not allowed to use ChatGPT for this, or you know what, we do want to use ChatGPT for this. Because that's the other part of this is that we need to push instructors to develop this AI literacy because I have students right now that as soon as they graduate, they go, they get their jobs. Students contact me a lot to thank me because I teach professional communication. So I help them with like preparing for the job interview, right? So they're really happy when they get their job. So I talk to them about their job. And a lot of them have told me that, hey, they're asking me to use AI right now. So right now at their jobs, they're using AI. So if we in universities don't teach students how yeah. to properly use AI, how to develop these AI literacy skills, then we're setting them up for, for failure, not for success. So that's why it needs to be integrated in everything that we do here. So if you look that back, we'll say 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. Faculty were beginning to accept the fact that there are a vast number of resources out there to get information by just snapping your finger. And so they began to shift away from making students memorize things. That took a number of years for faculty to finally accept that fact. Do you anticipate that in 10 years, we'll look back and see a progression of faculty members, institutions, higher education in general, accepting the reality of AI mm -hmm. and, and modifying the ways that they create assignments, teach what we expect of our students. Yeah, so you, know, you bring up this important aspect of the assignment and assessments in general. So I want to tell you a couple things that I have here within one of the infographics that I made dealing with how to make any assignment resistant to ChatGPT. So this kind of ties it back together. So one of the things I say here is that you need to make your assignment current and modern. Remember, ChatGPT only goes to 2021. So the more modern, the more current that you make it, bringing in local information or maybe things that were said in class, that way it's that much more current that much more modern for that student to use within an assignment within whatever examination. 
The other part here talks about incorporating more hands-on learning, more dynamic type of assessments. So that means that you have discussions in class about what they're supposed to be learning. If you're assigning them an essay where they're going through that process, but you're asking them questions throughout. And so now you're holding them accountable for it. So more dynamic things would be like video presentations or in-class presentations with Q&A. So they have to be able to answer these different questions. That makes it so much more dynamic, so much more they're having to be part of this learning process as opposed to just focusing on that end product, right? So that's really good. And then other things you could use would be incorporating images and video within the assignment, within the assessments as well. So they have to look at video or look at images and interpret that. And then again, answer questions based off of that. And then the last one here talks about maximizing student motivation to learn. So that means that Whenever I'm giving information, I'm specifically telling them the relevancy of why they need to learn this. Why do they need to go through and do this without ChatGPT? Why? Because I'm trying to give you skills mastery at this basic level. Later on in the class, we're going to use ChatGPT, and then we can incorporate this master skills level over here. So you'll be able to do this assignment because you learned it over here, giving them time to reflect on what they've learned and then being able to apply skills that will, again, put this all together. Now, the secret agenda that I was talking about with this infographic is that, well, let's take a step back and look at what I just said. This is how you make any class, any assignment great, right? Is you have it modern and current. Students don't wanna learn about the ancient past. They wanna use what's happening right now. Hey, incorporating hands-on learning, that's already been shown to be effective no matter what. Hands-on student-centered instruction, using more images, more video, concentrating on motivation, the relevancy. This is what students want. This is what's scientifically proven to be better learning, maximizing that engaging. So being able to incorporate that, and this is what's come up a lot in the literature as well already, is that ChatGPT AI is presenting a new opportunity for higher education to evolve and become that much better at learning and of students wanting to learn and going through the process itself. So if you were one of my students and you submitted the essay that you described with the false reference, I'm guessing faculty members typically don't go through and check that each reference is legitimate. They would just assume that I'm thinking, are there ways that I could determine that you didn't really write that essay. Ooh, okay. You're opening up a big can of worms here, which is good, right? Yeah, so I recently wrote an article that talks about this, right? About basically what is the state of AI text detection as well as what should we actually be focusing on? So I went through and I looked at, uh, there's about nine that I was able to find that are pretty good. Some of them are free, some of them cost money and they use slightly different mechanisms to actually go through and do it and actually check the text. Turnitin is also saying that they're just about ready to release a version where they'll be able to detect it as well. Oh, wonderful. Here's the problem in that I've known students in the past, right? That they will spend five hours, five hours trying to figure out how to game the system as opposed to 30 minutes on the assignment to get it completed, right? So. If we think about students that way, and again, they're probably learning quite a bit in understanding how to circumvent, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but so I went through and I limited myself to about two hours. So in two hours, I looked through, I'd read a couple of research papers, 
I looked at some videos, I looked at some articles, I was able to circumvent all of those detection mechanisms. Now, if a student is simply using ChatGPT, hey, write me a, an essay about democracy, thank you, and I turn it in, yeah, it'll be easily detected. But if I do certain things, if I know about these ways to circumvent, I'll say, ChatGPT, write me a 500-word essay on democracy. Boom, here it is. Okay, the introduction, I'm going to modify that because some detectors focus more on the introduction. I'll just modify it with a couple of words. Hey, I'm going to use a paraphraser AI to paraphrase some of the words here. Oh, I'm also going to incorporate something called perplexity and burstiness within my words. And I'll tell ChatGPT, hey, that essay that you just wrote for me, I want you to modify it by changing the burstiness and the perplexity of the words in this way. And it'll do it. ChatGPT itself will do it and make it that much more difficult for a detector to, to detect it. So if you know what you're doing, you become what's called now a prompt engineer and know how to use the system that much better, which is AI literacy, then guess what? I can use it and make it that much better to circumvent these detection mechanisms. Now, that's not the full can of worms. The other part is, okay, so I wrote this essay and now you're gonna take it and put it in through a detection software? I didn't authorize that as a student. You go through that, did you put my name in there? I didn't authorize that. How is this detection software using my name? How are they using my creation? How are they organizing wow. that data, right? In that essay that you asked me to write, I personalized it and I talked about my mom and my dad and I didn't want that information now. Now you expose it to a third party. So there's all these other things that are happening that you know we might not think about. So one of the big things that I tell instructors to focus on, and again, it's easier in some situations than not, is by going through and having more of this hands-on learning, now they're being required to know the content as they're going through writing an essay. And plus, if I'm following through with the essay and I'm evaluating them, then I will know when I get their essay and it's perfect, as opposed to, well, this is a C student and now they have this perfect essay that I just read, there might be something wrong here. Now, I'm not gonna go to the, my student and accuse them of plagiarism. I'm gonna go to my student and talk to them about, hey, I noticed that this was way better. Let's talk about this. Did you use a different tool? Because I didn't authorize that tool. Let's discuss about how to use it. Now, remember, the reason I had you not use that tool is because we're gonna use it later. I'm trying to develop your skills mastery. So again, this relevancy, this motivation, this reasons why, why aren't we using the best tool if we can make it that much easier? Well, there's reasons because of the skills mastery. I'm trying to teach you this so that you can do this over here. So again, there's lots of aspects to this for sure. So my guess is at some point, and this may have already happened, somebody's going to submit a journal article to a reputable journal and it's going to be accepted for publication. And then they're going to come out and say, hey, guess what? I didn't write that. Yeah. Yeah. So of course you have to put in a person who wrote it and there have been a fair amount, about six or seven that I know of, that have been completely written by ChatGPT. So that's actually a big point of discussion also because people are saying, well, no, you can't do that. ChatGPT can't be an author. So this kind of goes back to the whole idea of even plagiarism. If I submit a journal article and I say, hey, this journal is ChatGPT and I'm submitting it, it shouldn't be accepted. Why? I can't hold ChatGPT accountable for what they wrote and ChatGPT can't consent to publishing. But I, as a researcher, I could say, yeah, I'm researching this and I'm having ChatGPT write this for me and I'm turning it in and I'm saying I'm the author. Now I could say that I wrote ChatGPT, but in my mind, I don't even think you really need to do that. Why? Because if I say that I'm the author, 
you know, PhD Brent Anders, I'm the author, I'm the one who's now has to be held accountable. If there's anything wrong in there, it's my fault, not ChatGPT's. ChatGPT is where I use that tool to create this, but I'm the one that put my name on this. I'm the one that went through the work to ask it these questions, to use it, to format it, to put it in there, to submit it. So I need to be held accountable for everything. I have to verify that everything is logical, everything makes sense, everything is reputable, everything is real in here. So I'm the one that would be held responsible for that. But yeah, it's a gray area. Again, there's still a lot of debate going on with that. So what if I write an article and I list my co-author as George P. Thomas, <laughs> nice. who happens to be GPT. GPT, right. right. <laughs> like that. I think I'm starting to understand why the university in Australia that you spoke to earlier today kept you for two hours. We're going to pause the conversation here, but we'll be back next week with part two with Brent Anders on the Digital to Learn podcast. Join us then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.